elections in Broward County, city government dysfunction in North Miami Beach, and a dark decade in Venezuela. This is a special pledge edition of the South Florida Roundup. I'm your host, Tim Paget. In the next hour, we preview next Tuesday's local elections in Broward County, from the Miramar mayor to the Coconut Creek Commission. We'll also try to make sense of the municipal chaos in North Miami Beach, where a judge has ordered city commissioners back to work, and where there's doubt about whether the mayor actually lives in the city. And finally, this week marked 10 years since the death of Venezuelan leader Hugo Chavez. Why didn't democracy follow his demise? All that coming up right after the news. I'm Tim Paget. Welcome to a special pledge edition of the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. Bienvenidos, bienveni, bienvindo. You can make your donation to continue to support programs like this by calling 866-247-9576 or on WLRN.org. Broward County municipal elections are just a few days away. Voters in six municipalities in the county will make their voices heard on March 14th, choosing mayors, commissioners, and answering ballot questions. What do you think about the upcoming elections? Tweet us at WLRN. Joining us to help go over some of the races is Gerard Albert III, WLRN's Broward reporter. Gerard, thanks for coming on. Of course, Tim. Now, before we go into Broward's elections, I'd like to remind listeners that Palm Beach County's municipal elections are also next Tuesday, and we discussed those on last week's show. Make sure to get out there and vote. Gerard, let's start in Miramar, where the mayor who's seeking a third term was briefly something of a national celebrity a few years ago, right? Right. That's Wayne Messam. Uh, He briefly ran for president and uh, obviously unsuccessfully, but it did get him a little bit of name recognition uh, outside of the city of Miramar. Right. And he Miramar's first black mayor, right? Yes, yes. He is uh, born to Jamaican parents, and he represents uh, a lot of the community out there, a lot of Jamaicans and Haitians in Miramar. Right. And very popular, as you point out. I mean, Messam won re-election four years ago with 86% of the vote. Now, his challenger, businessman Rudy uh, Theofan, is running for office for the first time. Is he any real threat to Messam? Well, not really. Uh, The case he's been trying to make is that Messam ignores the eastern and central parts of Miramar, which are the older and and lower income parts of Miramar. But that's not really true when you look at what Messam has been doing in those areas, uh, increasing drainage and and uh, stormwater systems, uh, which has been a problem in that area. Right. Now, you pointed out that Miramar is actually Florida's 14th largest city, and I read that more large corporations are headquartered there than in any other South Florida city. So this is hardly an inconsequential mayoral contest, right? No, it's a it's a big city and it's growing. Um, it's it's kind of like the magnet for a lot of these corporations, uh, Sealand, Spirit Airlines, uh, even NBC6 is headquartered there. Um, so, yeah, it, it affects a lot of people and a lot of corporations uh, who's in charge there. And and one of the one of the cruise lines, right? 
Yes, yes. Right. So, you know, going back to that uh, that that celeb- brief celebrity that Messam enjoyed back uh, in in the last presidential election, do you think that Messam will run for president again next year? You know, I, I, you can't say for sure, but he hasn't been making the same moves as he did when he ran for president, you know, going around the state and, and around the country like he was and appearing at right. different events. So hard to say for sure, but it doesn't look like he's making the same moves. Right. So another Broward election you find interesting on your radar is in a much smaller town, Pembroke Park, where the entire town commission is up for re-election. Yeah, um, the entire commission, five seats are up for re-election. Only three of them are contested, though. Okay, but, but, but one of the candidates is a former mayor who ran into some controversy recently, right? Right, Mayor Ashira Muhammad. Uh, she was mayor from 2010 to 2019, and before that, she was on the commission for seven years. Right. Uh, it was during that time, though, that the Broward uh, Inspector General found that the commission was mishandling money uh, outrageously. And even Mohammed, uh, when she ran for her state legislation seat, uh, had been using town resources for herself in her own campaign. Right. Uh, but the, the state attorney said that she uh, did not willfully break the law. So there was no no charges there. OK. And how are her chances then for winning this uh, commission seat? <laughs> Well, that is also hard to say. I mean, she has way more experience than her competitor, and uh, she's been way more open in talking with uh, the press. So, you know, that that name recognition goes a long way, especially without any formal charges against her. And and she does know the ins and outs of Pembroke Park, which is changing rapidly. But the bigger controversy there seems to involve Pembroke, Pembroke Park's new police department and the man they just hired to head it, right? Right. That's David Howard. Uh, he's the same person who the city hired as a consultant when they were putting together their proposal for the police department. They, they're uh, getting rid of their contract with BSO or they, they have already. And now they're, they've got a new department of a lot of former police officers from around the county working in Pembroke Park. But going into, I mean, there was a bit of a, a, uh, I don't want to say scandal, but the controversy had a lot to do with, you know, they they really weren't vetting a lot of the cops that they were hiring to come into this new police department, right? Right, that's true. And one of the candidates he's running for District 1, his name's Eric Morissette. He's kind of uh, been going against the commissioners on that. He said it was a mistake to hire him. And there's been some drama there between the chief, David Howard, and Eric Morissette. Uh, there's a lawsuit involved. There's some bad blood there. But yeah, ultimately, the, the Sun Sentinel found that they were not vetting a lot of these officers who were coming in. And it was done very rapidly. Right. Some of some of these officers had some rather shady past, no, or, or some some big problems on their resumes. Right. And, and you see that in staffing police departments now, um, especially as applications have gone down. That's not just a Pembroke Park problem. Obviously, right. it's a it's a national issue that. Mm-hmm. Um, Police will kind of jump around from department to department when they have these little infractions right. on their records. Yeah. Now, you also think the election in Coconut Creek is an interesting one to watch next Tuesday. Why? Right. Well, we'll see uh, Nancy Fry, who has been uh, very active in the the activist scene, and she's running for uh, District D up in Coconut Creek, and it's her first time running. Uh, she is 37 years old. She's a mother of two. Um, she's in the past been 
the president of the Broward Young Democrats. She is very, she's a big advocate for preventing gun violence and for access to abortion. She is constantly speaking at rallies and out and about. And uh, in terms of local government, she was a former aide mm-hmm. to a Fort Lauderdale commissioner. And that's right. kind of how she knows the ins and outs of local government. Interesting. Well, I've been talking with WLRN Broward County reporter Gerard Albert III about the Broward County municipal elections coming up on Tuesday. Gerard, thank you, sir. No problem. Thank you. Still to come, absent commissioners and a lawsuit against the mayor have led to chaos in North Miami Beach. You're listening to a special pledge edition of the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. This is Kate Payne, the education reporter here at WLRN, here with our news director, Katie Munoz, here with you during during our spring membership drive when we're asking you to take just a couple minutes out of your day here on this $5 Friday to pitch in to the news, the arts, the cultural programming that you rely on. And when you and 136 other sustainers go to WLRN.org right now, you will help us unlock $17,500 extra and as part of our sustainer challenge we're asking you to help us take advantage of that extra funds you can help by going to wlrn.org or call or text the word give to 866-247-9576 and i really hope to hear from some of our broward county listeners especially after the segment we just heard on the south florida roundup with a whole lot of context about the upcoming municipal elections on tuesday if that information adds value to your life Maybe it makes it easier to vote. Maybe it adds some value to your community. Maybe you're a Coconut Creek voter. Maybe you are a Miramar voter. I want to see that you're listening this hour. So help us out. Help us meet that challenge for sustainers. The way to do that is to go online right now to WLRN.org or call us or text the word GIVE, G-I-V-E, to 866-247-9576. And just at $5, we're asking you at, uh, on this $5 Friday, we think that that's probably a, a level that you can fit into your budget. We know that not everybody has the means right now, but if you do, it's so much so much more important that you do so, that you pitch in. Uh, if you get you know just one coffee at, at your local coffee shop a month, that's probably $5 right there. If you have a daily cafecito habit, like many of us at the <laughs> newsroom, that's $5, it could be, it adds up. And we know, uh, that when when you pitch in just a little bit, you can do so much more to help support us here at, at WLRN. We rely on your support. It's what you do that powers the South Florida Roundup here today. So pitch in now at WLRN.org or call 866-247-9576. So, and we keep saying $5 Friday, Kate. Mm-hmm. I've got that song stuck in my head from the old Subway commercial, <laughs> $5 foot long, but I'm saying $5 Friday. There you go. Um, and when you pitch in $5 this Friday, you're helping us reach that huge goal we've got to unlock $17,500 extra dollars. You are also able to take home our 70 fifth anniversary t-shirt that's been really really popular today it's really soft gray charcoal it celebrates our inner nerd it says nerd university on it um, which is something that i think has been a lot of fun and it seems like a lot of listeners are really loving that one today that is at the five dollar a month contribution level today for our new sustainers Um, but normally it's twelve dollars a month right so if that's interesting to you today's the day to bring that home so go online right now at WLRN.org or call us at 866-247-9576. I'm Connie from West Palm Beach. 
I'm a sustaining member, and what inspires me is WLRN, and it's continuing brilliance and reliable news, programming that I can rely on. And so, WLRN, thank you for being there through all the uh, times, both inspiring and those times when we need your support. Thank you. I appreciate all you do, and I'm here to support you. Connie, thank you for those kind words. You know, when you pitch in and support WLRN now, you are helping us power our work in times when when we do need to rise to the occasion, in times of, of challenge, of difficulty, uh, during hurricanes, during elections. Uh, you're helping power that work, and truly, we cannot do it without you. And that's why we're asking you to take just a couple minutes of your day, so quick, so easy. Go to WLRN.org or call 866 866- Two four seven ninety five seventy six. We need 135 sustainers to help us reach that challenge today. Today only. You and 134 of your closest friends. <laughs> Please help us out. Be one of those 135 people that really helps us unlock some support that the station really needs to keep going for you and to also increase always. We're always looking to increase the quality of our programming and our newscasts for you. This is one way to help us help you. So go online right now. Again, it's at WLRN.org. If you've got the WLRN mobile app, you can also donate there as well. Um, Or call us. We're at 866-247-9576 here on your lunch break on this Friday. And coming up, we'll have more of the South Florida Roundup in just a few moments. Uh, But we just want to thank so many of you who have already pitched in with your friends and neighbors to lend your support to WLRN. Thank you, Karen in Miami, to Michael in Hollywood, Wendy in Boynton Beach, uh, Jamal in Fort Lauderdale says that walking down the sidewalk, he tells people to to listen into WLRN. Thank you so much, Jamal. We can do it with your support. Go to WLRN.org and pitch in now. Thank you. Thank you. More coming up. I'm Tim Padgett. Welcome back to the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. This is a special pledge edition of the Roundup. You can make your donations to continue to support programs like this by calling 866-247-9576 or on WLRN.org. Since October, the North Miami Beach City Commission has had a big problem. A lot of its members haven't shown up for meetings. In fact, one of them almost lost his seat this week because he'd stayed away for so long. But there's another big problem at play here. All that commissioner absenteeism stems from a dispute, the subject of an ongoing court case actually, over whether North Miami Beach Mayor Anthony DiFilippo actually lives in the city. Whatever the case, North Miami Beach government in the past few months has all but come to a halt, leaving residents frustrated to say the least. To help us make sense of North Miami Beach's chaos is a reporter who's been out ahead on this story, as she so often is, Glenna Milberg of WPLG Channel 10. She's one of South Florida's top veteran journalists and the host of the Sunday news show This Week in South Florida. Glenna, thanks for joining us. Hi, thank you for the kind words. (laughs) 
Let's start with the issue at the heart of this whole mess, the question of whether North Miami Beach Mayor Anthony DiFilippo actually resides in North Miami Beach. Last fall, the city attorney actually hired an outside law firm to investigate where DiFilippo really lives, right? Um, well, yes, right. But I'm going to turn the premise of that question on its head, because that is what the public narrative has been mm -hmm. as promoted and leaked by factions in the city that want the public to really key in on that. OK, that is sort of a fact pattern that has emerged since we've been covering the story. And yes, the, for sure, there is a court case about where Anthony Filippo really does reside. Um, that is in the courts. That question at the moment, legally and factually, has nothing to do with commission meetings because he is the mayor until a judge Right. If and, and the judge removes him. So as long as he's the mayor, that doesn't even matter to the question of three commissioners not showing up and okay. halting the city. So what what so, is at the heart? What is the reason then why these three commissioners especially have not been showing up to meetings? Well, I will tell you what two of them told me. They say they have not shown up to meetings since this question about the mayor's residency has emerged because a they don't consider that he might be a legal mayor and they've been advised right. by the city attorney Hans Ottenot not to show up. So he, here's what's interesting about that. Yeah. The city attorney Hans Ottenot was actually hired by the people not showing up when they had uh, another commissioner prior to the elections last fall voting with sort of a majority block. There were four of them. Mm -hmm. One of them lost the election. Now there are three and they don't have their usual majority. And they're actually a, a minority vote if the vote holds four to three. So they hired Hans Ottenot when they were a majority. The new majority of four has already said on the record, not only in the news, but in court filings, that the first thing that's going to happen when they convene as a commission with a quorum was they're going to be firing Hans Ottenot right. and city manager. So the supporting Hans Ottenot's supporting commissioners are the commissioners he advises, apparently, even though he's a city attorney and his bosses are all the commissioners and the mayor. He doesn't even talk to the other four and the mayor or the mayor's one of them, the other four. Mm -hmm. So that's curious. So two of the commissioners told me that they were advised by Hans Ottenot not to show up at meetings. Well, Hans Ottenot will lose his job at the next meeting where there's a quorum. So that's curious. Right. And the fact that a the fact that a judge ordered all the commissioners to show up to the meetings is sort of to me what is the law at the moment as a reporter that seems to be the law that everyone should be showing up and they don't right february february was the last meeting that they didn't show up in um there there is a question because the city charter says 120 days if a commissioner doesn't right. show up this vacant mm -hmm. that's also a court question so the the essential thing to me for, you know, I, I report on behalf of residents, North Miami Beach residents don't have a functioning government at the moment. And the essential question there is why these three people are not showing up despite a court order, despite the mayor still being the mayor while his residency question 
is in the court. And the, and the focus of this week's court hearing was about one commi- one of those three commissioners in particular, Michael Joseph, who hadn't attended even one commission meeting since last October. Now, one of his fellow commissioners, who is part of that, uh, <laughs> that other faction you've just been describing, Jay Chernoff, actually filed a lawsuit against Joseph, citing a provision that you all have just mentioned of the North Miami Beach Charter that says if a commissioner hasn't attended a meeting in 120 days, that commissioner loses his or her seat. So what did the Miami-Dade County judge say about all that this week? So that was um, actually yesterday, and the counting of the 120 days is sort of fuzzy math at the moment because the last commission meeting that Commissioner Michael Joseph attended was in October. And if you count from that last meeting, there are 120 days plus that are up and the seat gets vacated by charter. But there was no meeting in November, so his argument is, well, I haven't shown up since October, but really there was no meeting in November to show up to. So the count should start in December when I didn't show up. And if you count from December, 120 days is not up yet. And what the judge did was after kind of raising eyebrows and shaking heads and saying, well, you know, we need to really hear evidence about that. And today's not that day. So let's set a court hearing to hear evidence on that. Meanwhile, March 21st is the next meeting. And if you don't show up for that one, there's going to be an issue. So that's kind of on hold, too, at the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, If if you can stand another minute and a half, I have um, I want to just launch something that is very salient to all of this. We'll we'll, we'll get to that. Right. I just I just need to let people know that uh, I'm Tim Padgett. You're listening to the South Florida Roundup. And we're talking with journalist Glenna Milberg about the municipal dysfunction in North Miami Beach. So, Glenna, stage is yours again. <laughs> the dysfunction actually apparently has been going on far longer than I've been reporting on it. I just want to throw that out. <laughs> right. there's, there's all kinds of history there. But um, here's what the, the focus that you started out with was on the mayor's residency. Mm-hmm. And that is factually, that is a court case right now that is being looked at in the courts. But here's why. That comes from, that question comes from a an investor quote unquote, private investigation that was launched um, by a privately paid contractor, a private eye, who opined in this report, apparently commissioned by that city attorney, Hans Atnat, and paid for, funded by a political operative. So that private investigation alluded that he may not live there. It never came to any hard conclusion, but it showed photographs and property records and, and raised the question. The private investigation was then shopped to reporters, including me and a roster of other people. Um, we did not report on it because anyone can do an investigation. State attorney can investigate anything. An ethics investigation uh, was begun because the person who notified the ethics commission about this was also an operative campaign ties to Michael Joseph. So all of these people are involved in this. And we report on results. In other words, if ethics makes, uh, like, you know, if ethics makes a judgment or if the state attorney files charges or what, so that's what we're waiting to report on. So we have not put any of this really in much of our stories, but it's a, you know, it's a very um, contextual information 
about how this whole thing came to light. The fact pattern suggests that it was orchestrated by political operatives against the mayor and put out into the press. Well, that, that, that's how that's, all it started. That's why we wanted you on, Glenna, to, to give us the, that context and, and those those links, which which are always very important to know in cases like this. And and, and and as you're describing it, the city attorney, Hans Atenat, really does look more and more like, you know, the, the central figure in all this chaos. And there was some amusing security camera video showing Atenat running out of this week's hearing. Why was he escaping? Uh, actually, he was running away from another news crew. Uh, my friends and colleagues over at NBC6 were at that meeting trying to ask him questions, and he was actually running from them. Um, I will say I, I, almost, I, feel, I feel terrible watching that on his behalf, but um, he is a city attorney with a lot of questions that he should be answering and is not. And while he certainly does look like the central figure here, he he makes um i think since he was hired his bills to the city are almost two million dollars um and the commissioners who hired him he is answering to and protecting and advising to the exclusion of the others so while he definitely is a central figure here the the three of his whoops is that he is working with Mm -hmm. are also very much central figures as well. It's a really fascinating city and yeah. and the victims here, you know, to me who I report in the public interest are the citizens of North Miami Beach who right. deserve a fun government. And that may be the most important question of all. Amid all this chaos, um, has any city business actually gotten done in North Miami Beach since October? I think, you know, the city's functioning because of staff and employees. You know, the city is is functioning for sure. No decisions by the commission have been done since October zero. And that includes, you know, expenditures by the city. You had, I think, in the last commission meeting, there were some developers and attorneys waiting for things on the agenda and paid by the hour. Um, And so there have been zero decisions by the commission involving any big city decision since October, almost five months. All right. Glenna Milberg is a reporter here with WPLG Channel 10 and the host of This Week in South Florida each Sunday. Glenna, you've done so much to help us uh, figure out this chaos uh, today. Thanks so much. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks, Tim. Still to come. This week marks a decade since the death of authoritarian Venezuelan President Hugo Chavez. Why did the democratic hope of that moment turn into so much disappointment when a special edition of the South Florida Roundup continues on WLRN? You're listening to the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. Here with me, Kate Payne, the education reporter, and Katie Munoz, our news director, here with you during our spring membership drive. And it is $5 Friday when we're asking you to take just a couple minutes of your day and just a few dollars out of your budget to support the programming that you rely on here. And when you and 132 other sustaining members go to WLRN.org right now, you can help us unlock 17,500 extra dollars for WLRN. That's through our sustainer challenge. 
thanks to loyal donors Jill Granite and Darcy Houlihan. Thank you so much for your support. We want to make your money go further for WLRN. You can do that now by going to WLRN.org or call or text the word GIVE to 866-247-9576. And it's been really rewarding, Kate. We started the day off needing 200 sustaining mm-hmm. members, and now we only need 132 of you. Yes. It's it's night. We're, we're seeing the numbers go in Making our favor progress. here. So you can help us out on this Friday afternoon, $5 Friday. Maybe you're finishing a late lunch. Maybe you're thinking about your weekend plans. Contribute to WLRN before you start your weekend. Mm-hmm. That way you get it out of the way. It's easy. But then your money is also having a whole lot more impact helping us reach this $17,500 sustainer challenge. It's it's nice to feel like you helped complete a challenge. You can be that person today when you go online right now to WLRN.org or when you call us at 866-247-9576. And, you know, there's a lot going on in the world right now. There are a lot of uh, news stories pulling on your attention. Uh, There are a lot of challenges that we're all facing during this time, and it can be hard to know how you can make a difference. But I am telling you, when you support public media, when you support nonprofit outlets like WLRN, you are making a difference. You are helping us power this impactful, engaging, insightful, local journalism based in your community here in South Florida, dedicated journalists like our own Tim Paget here uh, on the South Florida Roundup. We'll hear more from him soon. And you're helping power all of the folks behind this show, the names that you may not know, the voices you may not hear who are the working engineers, all week. The the producers, yes. all of it. They all make it possible, and you make it possible when you pitch in at WLRN.org and when you call 866-247-9576. Do it now. I want to say thank you to a whole lot of new members I'm seeing come through and new sustainers, Kathy in Boynton Beach, Allison in Miami, Anthony in Miami Gardens, Ann in Cutler Bay, um, you know Cynthia in Deerfield Beach as well. Uh, there's so many folks here. Narinder in Miami, you wrote us a beautiful note. Um, thank you very much for that. And it's I really hope some of you took home the Nerd University t-shirt when you contribute, if you tr- contributed at the $5 a month level. It's soft. It's charcoal gray. It's our 75th anniversary edition of the t-shirt. And it's celebrating your inner nerd, letting your <laughs> inner nerd out every once in a while. It's nice to do. It feels Embrace good. It. Embrace it. Exactly. Um, Misinformation is not cool. Being informed is. And that's what the Nerd University t-shirt celebrates. That's when you give at the $5 a month level today only. It goes up. It's normally $12 a month. So you can select that as one of your thank you gifts when you go online and you look through the options at WLRN.org. Or if you call us, we'll talk you through it at 866-247-9576. This is Annette and Julio from Miami. I'm embarrassed to say my husband and I have been listening to WLRN, but have never pledged before. And we've been listening for many years. Uh, last night, we both started talking and at the same time mentioned that we needed to become sustaining members. So we started with only $5, but we're hoping to increase that soon. I am so happy. The service you guys provide us every day and the accurate news and factual news is everything I come to you for. And the stories are fantastic. Thank you so much. 
Annette and Julio, thank you so much. I love to hear those stories of longtime, dedicated listeners really taking a moment to think about what WLRN means to them, the ways that they have relied on our service over the years. And you know what? No embarrassment here. Uh, no, no guilt here. We welcome you with open arms at $5 a month. That's an incredible step to make. And for many of you, it's, it's a pretty easy step to make. You have that money in your budget. We know not everybody does, but if you do, it's that much more important that you take this step for your community, that you make this service available for free, no questions asked, for your community. You can be a part of that now by going to WLRN.org, or you can call or text the word GIVE to 866-247-9576. And I want to just take a second there, Kate, because $5 a month really helps us more than I think people understand. Absolutely. I've, I've had a lot of people come up to me over the years, oh, well, I can't give that much. You know, I'll wait until someday maybe I can give more. Don't wait. Don't Every wait. single dollar helps support news news staff in your newsroom, engineers, producers, local shows, local newscast content, um, hurricane coverage, election coverage. So make sure you go online right now. Whatever amount works for you, every single dollar helps. WLRN.org. Thank you so much. I'm Tim Paget. Welcome back to the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. This is a special pledge edition of the Roundup. You can make your donation to continue to support programs like this by calling 866-247-9576 or on WLRN.org. This week marked 10 years since the death of Venezuelan President Hugo Chavez. Shortly after he died of cancer, his anointed successor, then Vice President Nicolas Maduro, almost lost a special presidential election to replace him. In fact, many people still believe he did lose it. Either way, the opposition's near victory gave a lot of people hope that Chavez's dictatorial revolution could not survive without Chavez. But a decade later, it turns out they were sorely mistaken. Nicolás Maduro's regime is more entrenched in power than ever and more brutal than ever. It's blamed for the worst humanitarian crisis in modern South American history, and the U.N. has accused it of crimes against humanity. That also means the Venezuelan diaspora has grown into one of the largest exile groups in South Florida. Joining me now to look back on this lost decade in Venezuela and to look ahead is Venezuelan-American journalist Elena Poleo. She heads Influence Communications here in Miami. Elena, thanks for joining us. Hi, Tim. Thank you so much for having me on. And I'm actually extremely honored to be on during a pledge, special pledge day. Well, Very happy to be here. Thank you. You hail from a family of respected journalists in Venezuela. And in fact, that's why your family had to leave Venezuela while Chavez was still alive. Tell us about what drove your father and the rest of you into exile. Yep, that is correct. Um, I left right as it was time for me, uh, right a, a year after I finished high school, I was already working in the family newspaper. We had a newspaper called El Nuevo País and a magazine called Zeta, Z-E-T-A, right. which was a weekly magazine, like kind of like Time is for um, the United States. It was a nationally distributed newspaper, daily newspaper and magazine. And so the magazine was weekly and the newspaper was daily distributed nationally. And we were marked as opposition because we would not print what the government would want us to print. So my father, 
the director and founder of both publications, Rafael Poleo, um, was always the target. Um, but my father stuck it out for a few years. My mother did not feel comfortable with me staying there. So she shipped me off to Miami for me to go to school here. But my thoughts were always that I would return. Yeah. And that was in 1999, a year after Hugo Chavez was elected. So since then, um, now I live here, like you said. But your father, my, your father, as I recall, yes. he drew the ire of Chavez uh, for some Correct. comment he made on TV. And he then the was, next thing you know. Yeah, he was actually, like I said, he stuck it out. Um, he stayed there for a long time, um, for a few years, and he was often on television, you know, doing interviews. Uh, and in one of those interviews, he said that Chavez would end up um, head down like Mussolini. And in that sense, when Chavez saw that, he pointed him out in one of his famous, um, you know, nine hour press conferences. Right. Allo Presidente, that, yeah. Hello, President. And he told, he said, that guy, Rafael Poleo, go find him and put him in jail. He actually called him out by name. Yeah. So my father had to leave Venezuela, um, you know, in the in the dark of the night and ended up in Miami, like so many of us expats have. Same thing with my brother, who was the director, as well as my sister, who was also a director in the newspaper. Right. So we all ended up here many years ago. So let's go back to March 2013 and the news that Chavez had died. Describe the hope that his technically democratically elected, but in reality very undemocratically governing socialist revolution would now begin to dissolve. Yes. So technically, Chavez, like I said, in 1998, he was technically democratically elected. Yeah. Um, and and um, you could add up all the other votes from all the other different parties and it would not add up to the amount of votes that Chavez got at the time. Plus, Chavez was not in power at the time, so he didn't have control over the election department like the mm -hmm. Chavistas and Maduristas do now and have ever since. Right. Um, since since he, he took power, um, they completely took over, just for your listeners who may not be aware, who may not understand what the situation is, completely took over all of the public entities that are supposed to safeguard democracy, right. uh, dissolved Congress, took over the elections de department, which is more than a department. It's 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 a whole, um, you know, it's it's not just an elections department. So here it oversees all the elections. And unlike the United States, there is a uniform election system, a national uniform election system. So once you have power over that, you are just going to be continuously reelected. Right. Um, plus, you add fear tactics, paying people off, blah, blah, blah. So, yes. But the first time he was definitely reelected. Now, when Chavez first got sick and was sent to Cuba and pretty much disappeared, they would ha they, they would show pictures of him and that sort of thing. But pretty much disappeared from public view. News started to um escape that he had very you know uh, right. cancer terminal cancer so he died and uh, there was a lot of hope that that would end the regime but he anointed his vice president nicolas, nicolas maduro. maduro and i right. mm -hmm. to to be honest with you i i always had a feeling that it didn't matter if chavez died because the way that they had set it up such an intelligent way where there was already 
somebody to take over the revolution as Chavez got sick. He didn't suddenly die. He they, This was right. months in the making. Mm-hmm. So there was time to prepare and prepare they did. But Maduro, and here we are. But Maduro had little of Chavez's charisma. And sure enough, Absolutely. the special election that was held after Chavez died, Maduro just barely won that election by only one point. Do you think he won by fraud? Absolutely. 100 percent. He won by fraud. And but, he, um, but even if he did, do you think that the fact he won by such a razor thin margin meant that the Chavez's revolution's days were numbered? Um, Yes, we all were very hopeful, thinking that that was going to show that those elections, that the razor thing, that they were only able to um, negotiate such a small, small win, that they were only able to convince the elections department, as well as the military, because remember, the military is very involved in everything that has to do with elections in countries like Venezuela, they were able to negotiate saying, yes, fine, we will let you say that you won, but only by this much. We're not going to give you some sort of a landslide. So literally, this is just, these elections are just negotiations. They don't actually, the votes themselves actually don't count except to have leverage during those negotiations. So um, yes, and then, but everybody thought that the Maduro regime would then start collapsing even internally because there was a lot of infighting within the party and here we are 10 years later maduro still in power maduro still controls the -hmm. institutions that are supposed to protect democracy so evidently we were all wrong with our hope I'm Tim Padgett. You're listening to the South Florida Roundup. I'm talking with exile journalist Elena Poleo about Venezuela 10 years after the death of Hugo Chavez. Now, in the meantime, Elena, Venezuela's once booming oil industry is wrecked and ruined, and Venezuela has lost more than a fifth of its population as people flee the country's economic and human rights catastrophe that most of the world blames on Maduro. I'm married to a Venezuelan. I have Venezuelan nieces and nephews now living in places as far flung as Bulgaria. As a Venezuelan, Elena, how badly does it hurt to see what your once wealthy and democratic country has been reduced to? It's it's devastating. And it's something that we think about every day and that honestly still brings me close to tears. I've been gone from Venezuela for 20 years. And it's still um, it's still a very, very sore spot. I still have some family there. My mother passed away two years ago without being able to return to Venezuela. She died here in Miami. And it it becomes uh, this thorn in your heart that you just cannot get past. And there's always a hope, you know, um, that next year I'll be able to go. I, you know, last time I was in Venezuela, they almost didn't let me out. Uh, thankfully, I had a U.S. passport and I was able to leave. Um, you know, my brother hasn't been able to return. My father is has not been able to return in over 12 years. And um, it's it's something that you really cannot get over this being thrown out of your country where I hoped to you know bring my daughters to and um, the entire family. We some of us are here, but many of them are in Argentina or Spain or some in Germany. The families are ripped apart and thrown all around the world to wherever they can go and get a job and use their skills and become productive members of society in another country instead of our right. own, where we could be 
moving mm-hmm. Venezuela in the right direction to be, you know, in 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 a place where it belongs, where it used to be, right. where Venezuela used to be, where it used to be the peak of Latin America. So where do we go from here? I mean, this week, the Biden administration said it's pulling back from re-engagement with Maduro's regime after we thought for a while that it was going to start engaging the Maduro regime again because the world needs the oil. Talks between the regime and the opposition are on again in Mexico City to hammer out conditions for a new presidential election next year. Do you have any hope that that will be successful? And if it is, can the fractured opposition win a presidential election against Maduro next year? I think that the conditions are not in the opposition's favor. Um, We, right now, the opposition is still trying to decide whether they're going to have primary elections. We do not have primary elections in Venezuela. Um, There are, I don't know, what last time I checked, there were like 10 candidates, and they're still trying to figure out if they're going to have primaries, which without a primary election, then you're all you're doing is running 10 people against Maduro. So immediately you're going to lose. Yeah. Um, you divide the vote. That's just math. Yeah. Um, so I don't I don't I see that the opposition is very fractured. And if mm-hmm. they do not unite, they will not be able to beat Maduro. Okay. End of story. So finally, in the, in the 30 seconds we have left, Elena, I want to ask you what you think the Venezuelan diaspora's own missteps were during this past decade. What did the exiles here in the U.S.'s largest Venezuelan community themselves do wrong in the effort to bring down Venezuela's dictatorship? Well, being so black and white never helps. Um, there is extremism, too much extremism um, in the diaspora, and especially in South Florida, where only basically, you know, completely removing the Maduro regime will suffice. Right. And that is not conducive to any sort of negotiation or to move forward. We have to stay focused on the goal. The goal is to be able to win the election and remove Maduro. And then we can talk about um, they want to just throw him right. and everybody else in jail. Right. Let's first start with step one we'll, before we can even talk we'll, about step two. We'll have to leave it there, Elena, but uh, that's a very good point. Uh, Elena Poleo is a Venezuelan exile journalist who heads the Influence Communications firm here in Miami. Elena, thanks very much. Y suerte. Thank you so much. Gracias. Hasta luego. That will do it for the South Florida Roundup. It's produced by Natu Tue with help from Elena Acevedo and Polly Landis this week. Katie Munoz is our director of live programming. Sergio Bustos is WLRN's vice president of news. The vice president of radio and show's technical supervisor is Peter J. Maers. Our engagement editor is Katie Cohen. I'm Tim Paget. Thanks for joining us. Gracias. Messi. Obrigado. And thank you for joining us during the spring member campaign as we listen to the South Florida Roundup here on WLRN. I'm Katie Munoz, your director of live programming in the studio with Kate Painter, education reporter. Um, Kate, I think that that was a great example of why the South American story is a local story here in South Florida and how we treat it that way in this WLRN newsroom thanks to Tim Padgett's expertise as well of course if that program added something to your Friday added value to your listening please go online right now and support this work at WLRN.org or call us at 866- 
247-9576. And if you're just tuning in, this is not just any Friday at WLRN. It is $5 Friday. That means that we're asking you to pitch in, become a new sustainer, or increase your sustaining membership by just $5 a month. I bet most of you can find that in your budget. And when you and 131 other sustainers go to WLRN.org right now, you can help us take advantage to unlock $17,500 extra dollars for WLRN, okay? So we want you and just about 100 of other of your closest friends to, to help us now. And that's thanks to our loyal donors, Jill Granite and Darcy Houlihan, who have made this possible to unlock that extra money here. So go to WLRN.org now, or you can call or text the word GIVE to 866-247-9576. And one of the things we really haven't mentioned this hour, Kate, is when you donate now, you are entered into our grand prize drawing. That is for a three-night getaway to Sonoma Wine Country in Northern California. It, I mean, it's it's going to be a fabulous weekend. I could go on and on. Private <laughs> wine tastings, food tastings, rooftop experiences, um, tasting menus, so much more. Airfares included. That's when you donate now. You can enter for your chance to win because, as you put it earlier, Kate, you know <laughs> somebody's going to win. It might as well be you. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know that's that's a great reason to to pitch in your chance to win that grand prize. But we also know, you know, another excellent reason is the programming that you yeah. rely on here at WLRN. We just heard that incredibly compelling conversation with a Venezuelan expat here in Miami uh, and her her family's struggle to try and and carry out the work of journalism uh, under fire in Venezuela. And when you pitch in and, and help support WLRN, you are helping fuel the free press here in the United States, our ability to ask hard questions, to challenge those in authority, uh, to challenge those in power. It's a very vital, important process of our democracy here that's written into the founding laws of this country. You can help that, that service, that mission, by going to WLRN.org, or you can call or text 866-247-9576. That's one of the many reasons we love you in this newsroom, Kate. Very <laughs> inspiring on this Friday afternoon. She inspires us all. Um, listener support is the largest share of our funding for all of your favorite programs on WLRN. That includes the South Florida Roundup you just heard, the Florida Roundup that's statewide before that, but it also includes your NPR programming that you love so much as well. Listener support also does one other thing for us that many people maybe don't realize. Your $5 a month helps us create stronger editorial independence. Speaking a little bit to what you mentioned earlier there, Kate, so no other funding sources come in anywhere close to the freedom that your listener support gives to WLRN. We, that is what enables us to report without fear or favor. So our editorial independence matters as much as it ever has, maybe even more. Your support does too, and that's what keeps us this free and independent press. That's when you give now at WLRN.org or call us at 866-247-9576. Yes, this is Ruben Simpson from Miami, and I have donated in the past just large lump sums. I finally decided to have a monthly donation um, to help support uh, WLRN. 
for all the great stories, um, up-to-date news. Um, just thankful, thankful that, that I'm able to have a radio station that gives me honest, truthful news, information. Thank you, WLRN. And thank you, Ruben. We so appreciate you taking that big step uh, to not just donate a one-time gift, to be, to, but to become a sustaining member. That really is the easiest way for you to give. You set it and forget it. Uh, you give us your, your credit card number, your bank account, whatever is, is the best option for you. Uh, and it's, it's the best way to support WLRN because that is a dedicated amount of funding that we can depend on every month as we're setting our own budgets. Uh, that's, that's what we're asking you to do today on this $5 Friday. Take the time, just a couple minutes now, WLRN.org or 866-247-9576. Thank you so much for your support. We've heard from so many of you already. Uh, Sarah in Loxahatchee, uh, David in New Orleans, Philip in Fort Lauderdale, and yes, and Lori in Boynton Beach, thank you.